0: Welcome to episode 35 of First Strike the Invasion podcast. Ooh. I'm Siskoid. I'm Bass, And uh, today we're going through, uh, well, we're, we're near the end. We're in the final Act? Leg. Yeah. yeah of uh, the Invasion crossover. We are covering, as usual, we've been covering for a couple years now, that crossover event from uh, end of 1988, beginning of 1989, DC Comics, uh, called Invasion, and all its tie-ins. We've gone through Invasion number three. Yeah, we'll have your comments on that towards the end of the show. Hey, it, I mean, now it's just like Fallout and, uh, spin-offs and that's exactly. just where we are.
1: And we're, we're basically going to see how the invasion, how it acted on the whole DC universe. Right. Cause there are after, well, not aftermath because we did aftermath, but <laughs> yeah. the Fallout. We're going to really see the Fallout of this. Invasion.
0: Yes, and today we're covering the Spectre number 24, which was one of the issues that Invasion number 3 said, new heroes and villains, uh, go and read, and they gave us like four comics that we had to read, which we will. Uh, this is the first one, the Spectre number 24, and bass, even though the episode comes out on, on May 8th, today is May 5th, free comic book day. Yes, this is Cinco de Comic Book Day. <laughs> it's great. Uh, And uh, for the the occasion, we're just coming from uh, our favorite comic book shop, where we spent the morning talking to people about Invasion. Looking for aliens, and people
1: were great. The lineup was wonderful at the the Comic Hunter here in Moncton, New Brunswick, and uh,
0: we had a lot of fun. Uh, Every once in a while, the show will drop out, and we will be transported, as if by magic, (laughs) to earlier this morning... At the comic book shop. It was a lot of fun. Stay tuned for that. We'll also be talking about the Spectre in general, because yeah. we sort of put it off when we covered other Spectre issues earlier. We decided yeah. to talk about, you know, magical heroes, because there was this whole thing. Uh, but we kind of left the Spectre for later. This is the later. So the comic is called Ghosts in the Machine Part 1, Boys Be Bad. <laughs> it's a six-parter. We're only covering that first issue. Yeah. Uh, but I, I did some research on what happens next. It's by writer Doug Mensch, artists Tom Artis and Ralph Cabrera, letterer John Costanza, colorist Robbie Bush, assistant editor Kevin Dooley, and editor Andrew Helfer. The cover by Tom Artis. Uh, sort of a computer generated 3D armature look. Yeah, With the Spectre coming out of a circuit board. In fact, there's like, the Spectre title itself is screwed in like a motherboard yeah. element. You've got like those big thick wires, those broad wires, what's it called? I like it. I like it too, even though it's it's very
1: busy. But it pops. I can see myself being drawn to that comic in the comic book. I
0: shop. don't think that thumbs are connected to a hand in the way that the armature shows it. <laughs> yeah. But otherwise, it goes with the ghost in the machine yeah. idea. Although it's got nothing to do with this particular issue. It's like foreshadowing stuff that's going to happen much later. Yeah. Where the Spectre gets to go into VR. But there's none of that in the comic itself. It's very
1: interesting in just in the, the paradox of you know mm-hmm. this... Supernatural being, uh, being caught in something that's very, very technological Ghosts meet cyberpunk. And the cover looks great, and I like it. But you're like, eh, how can, what, how?
0: But it works. I think we could ask, and we will, I, I will, whether uh, this is a good sort of storyline for the Spectre. Mm-hmm. Should he be going into sci-fi stuff? Or should he really be, you know, re- remain in a, like the supernatural sphere of the dcu that's a question you have to answer for yourself uh let's look at the here's what happens in the issue synopsis. it's after the invasion and tv news is still talking about the metagene sickness that afflicted superhumans and a percentage of normal humans metagene expert dr eugene shockley is brought on to explain it he says just because you have the gene doesn't mean you'll develop powers only that you have the potential to Elsewhere, the Spectre is having a chat with his alter-ego Jim Corrigan, who would chop off his arm if it meant he'd be rid of the vengeful ghost who kept him out of the invasion. Richard Redditch, a character we saw among the sick in Invasion No. 3, was mm-hmm. the page I would have jettisoned, remember? Yeah. Comes out of the hospital where he's immediately accosted by men in black who are interested in his metagene. Before they can bring him anywhere, they get carjacked by three masked assailants who grab Redditch and bring him to a lab at Ivy Tech where Dr. Shockley has been tasked to release Redditch's powers by persons unknown. He has more ambitious plans imagining a future where he can manipulate and even implant the metagene in anyone and create a society no longer dependent on machines. Meanwhile, a police detective called Jason Praxis has tracked a serial killer dubbed The Artist to New York from Seattle. Redditch's wife visits Corrigan's detective agency because her husband has disappeared, but Corrigan and his staff think it's suspicious that Redditch just moved from Seattle as if something or someone was after him. She doesn't know anything, but we're supposed to understand that Redditch is the artist and that he's about to be given superpowers. hmm Indeed, after three days of experiments and torture at Chocolate's hands, Redditch explodes with power, taking the lab with him. His mind goes out over the electric grid and he appears as a blip on television and zaps one arcade game player who goes on to blow up a cat with a cherry bomb. Redditch himself escapes. The Spectre is summoned by these events and leaves Corrigan, minus an arm, while he investigates as at what must be partial power, I guess. He finds the gamer and puts him in a coma, but decides not to kill him because, in part, because Corrigan earlier admonished him on his black-or-white perspective. He sensed, in this case, that there were mitigating circumstances. Standing in front of the burning lab, Shockley realizes that the powers one gets from the metagene are dictated not by the gene itself, but by the catalyst. In this case, getting electric shocks from a machine has done something to reddish that gives them powers over machines mm-hmm. and electricity. So that's the issue and it's a, you know, I, I tried to, to consolidate some of the subplots because it's a lot more convoluted than that in, in the way the page, yeah. the pages go. We go back and forth from one element to another. Yeah, a lot of characters also. Yeah. A lot of characters that don't have costumes. Yeah. So it's like a lot of people that we don't know because we weren't reading the Spectre exactly. in this era. So what did you think of the, the comic overall?
1: You know what? Even though I know almost nothing of the Spectre in that time. I did enjoy this. Com- the art was really, I really enjoyed the artwork. Really? I did. It felt like I was reading like a, a storyboard. It really felt like either an episode, a TV episode or a, a movie. Like a, a, It's
0: interesting it, that you say that, that use those words because the very first panel yeah? looks unfinished. <laughs> it looks like somebody forgot to ink some figures. Here's the panel. We're looking at the newscaster. Yes, yes it's a TV monitor. So you got the lines. That's fine. The effect is fine, but in the background, you know that picture that, that yeah. pops up next to the newscaster, caster, it's doctors kind of holding up the flash. Yeah, but the doctors aren't filled in. <laughs> I, I never, I didn't. I mean, they don't have face. They look like sketches. I I didn't even see the doctors. I only saw the flash. Yeah, exactly. Because he's, he's red. He pops out. You know. I don't know. I, maybe the, this is an effect they really tried to do because. They're faceless. They're all in white. It's like an unfinished, you know, it puts you in mind of, uh, you know, a storyboard. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's. Maybe that's why I. Because I really, I don't know,
1: I really felt like it was, uh, you know, how how it it cuts in and out of of scenes. There's a lot of characters. We're trying to, you know, fill in little subplots along the way. Mm -hmm. You know, the action scene where the men in black get carjacked. You know, it looks a lot like a scene from Heat, that old (laughs) Val Kilmer movie you know it, it kind of looks like that you know but uh but yeah I thought I thought it read like a, a TV
0: episode or a, or a movie I think that helps when people are dressed in civvies. yeah it makes it seem like more like a normal television show yeah uh, that maybe the Spectre was it's sort of a private eye show with yeah. a ghost in it the ghost and mrs ghost- Muir Me-
1: <laughs> meets ghost Rider
0: <laughs> I, I really enjoyed the character
1: designs. Face designs and stuff like that. It, it wasn't always, you know, square jawed. I don't know why. Yeah. I
0: just, this no, the, the people look different. Yeah. And this is probably, of course, this is a carryover from whatever other artists mm-hmm. the book has had. You know, I, I have to say that I preferred Chris Wozniak's art in the previous issue because it was like, it was great. Yeah, it was like, it was kind of scratchy yeah. and creepy. And Tom Artis was not my favorite artist uh, obviously the, just the way I'm, I'm talking about it the, the rounded shoulders everybody's got like a, these big rounded shoulders it's kind of a, it is one of his better efforts as far as yes character designs do yeah. you think the action is a little fudgy? Confusing at times. Yeah. Redditch's transformation. It was
1: like Actually, yeah, that that I think they crossed that axis though with the camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you think they crossed across yeah. the line?
0: Because we well, it was just a bad choice of point of view. He also does this earlier when we see Corrigan on the rooftop talking to the Spectre, and Spectre sorta of comes out of his arm. Usually they replace one another. Uh one becomes the other in this era. But in this he's just like we're just using one body part so that the two halves of him can talk so it's a bit like you know banner and the hulk but you do have like half a face or something there's like that that shot where the the, where the specter's coming out and then turn the page and the next panel is just the same point of view it keeps going it's like the same drawing twice but not i i felt like this was like okay there should have been a camera change there should yeah. have been a zoom in or a zoom, you know, there should have been something there. Those cinematic elements, if we read it as cinema, it's like cutting from yeah. one take to another take without changing the point of view. So th- there are problems like that. Yeah. Very late 80s, early 90s TV though. Yeah. Oh yeah, especially the big trench coats. Speaking <laughs> yeah. of trench coats, if you're wondering who Praxis is. Who is Praxis? That guy, Jason Praxis. Because I, I thought, well, is, is he Praxis? because Praxis is a is a superhero who joined Booster Gold's conglomerate. Okay. When Booster dumped the JLI, he went with a team that was like more or less working for money and Praxis was a member. Okay. It is. It's the same Praxis, but this is his first appearance. Character first appears in The Spectre Winds Up in Justice League Quarterly kind of thing. Wow. It's, a weird trajectory it is he's a uh, telekinetic and telepathic police detective that first appears here and uh, i guess from what i've read electrical powers as okay. well from exposure to redditch later in this storyline and nothing's really explained he's, he hasn't just been sick has he i really but don't know he's a meta human he's a
1: meta but if uh reddick redditch Redditch. What's That's how it? I'm saying it. I, I was saying Reddick in my head, but uh, Redditch. Reddick is someone else. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's your boy, Ben Diesel. <laughs> yeah. I'm Groot. His best work ever. I mean, if Redditch was his catalyst, you know, if mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I don't, I haven't read the rest, but I mean, yeah. if he grabs his head and starts electrocuting him.
0: Yeah, it's possible that the wikis are misleading, because I don't have the other issues. Misleading in the sense that, uh, he only gets powers once Redditch zaps him. Like, later yeah. in this story. Maybe that's it. Because he doesn't seem to be telepathic. He just seems, no, he he just only... seems to be, like, 90s cool. Yeah, ponytail and all. <laughs> Huge trench coat. Yeah. Dark glasses. Yeah, that ponytail. I mean, that can't be... Ponytails? That can't be police. Um... <laughs> no, I don't think it
1: is. Maybe he does undercover work. <laughs> Probably does. But, yeah, uh, that guy. I, I was wondering
0: also, because he seemed important, but I had no idea. First appearance, anyways. Yeah. So, um, that's... An odd one. As for the artist himself, yes, Redditch is a serial killer. Uh, he's killed about a dozen people. What happens next, where the story goes, I can tell you, is um, uh, he eventually puts a million people in a coma. Oh, wow. I think this is unresolved. So those people are still in a coma. Oh, wow. By zapping them through electronic devices, just like he did the arcade player. So he's like possessing people and giving them psychotic urges. Yeah. And uh, when he's... Taken out, those people just fall in a coma, just like we see after the Spectre stops that, oh my that kid. He would be, he would be a great supervillain right now. Well, he dies. Um, he tries to cause a nuclear holocaust by t- you know going into yeah. NORAD or whatever, taking over some uh, missiles, and then uh, so Spectre and Praxis have to stop him. And uh, there's a big VR space. The artist is living inside. A virtual reality of his own making. The Spectre has to enter that reality. And then, uh, meanwhile, while he's out of his body, Praxis and uh, whatever whatever other allies burn the body so that there's he has no place to go. So he, he gets stuck. Right, and then killed, r- wiped out yeah. within the VR world. This is all a bit... I mean, it's very cyberpunk. Yeah. But this is a character that maybe is... Before his time, because he should have been an internet-driven
1: villain, right? He actually sounds like a cyborg villain. You know, Cyborg has his own thing. Cyborg is basically the internet. He's, you know, the good version of Brainiac, maybe. You know, the early version of uh, Earthly Brainiac. Kind of feels like, uh, you know, a a villain from from Cyborg. There's this thing where people are doing weird things because they have... Cell phones and stuff like that, and Cyborg has to, you know, nap this guy.
0: Because I'm sure he gets into all of this through the, the original internet, the one that used to be used by the, just the military. That yeah. was that was there in the 80s. But now it's all replaced. He'd probably
1: be overpowered right now, unstoppable.
0: And even so, in this, they have to make him go. His his mind goes through electrical lines. He attacks a guy through an arcade machine, which isn't on a network. Exactly. So that the only network is the electrical grid. Today, if he would be doing this character, it, he'd be going over the internet. Yeah. Wreck-It Ralph. Th- that, that's what it would have been. Yeah, yeah. He'd
1: be in your Bluetooth earbud. A,
0: a, a character that could work today. Absolutely. Yeah. What's interesting, I thought, was that if this is a like a we look at it through the lens of invasion, mm-hmm. this is the comic that spells out how the metagene works, because we've got a, a metagene expert or genetic yep. expert who wants to manipulate it, wants to work with it. And comes to some realizations, whether he's right or wrong or has a full picture after this one experiment is, is up for debate. Well, but his
1: name is Dr. Gene Sum.
0: Eugene. 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 Oh, yeah, that's right. It's a pun. Yeah, it Eugene Shockley and he shocks oh, the guy. So that, that Eugene, one I got. Shockley. Yeah. yeah. So Shockley kind of tells us that, um, the metagene works just like, Mutation in the Marvel Universe. Exactly. Not the mutant gene, the X gene. Th- those powers seem to be random, more or yeah. less. But the, the, when you mutate in the Marvel Universe, Spider-Man gets bit by a spider, spider powers. Uh, the, you know, Sandman is, uh, passes out next to a nuclear sand thing, thing, there, in the sand, becomes the Sandman. I guess all the Fantastic 4 have the same catalyst, you know, getting hit by cosmic rays. Yeah. But it fits their personalities. So the catalyst is actually their personalities. And yeah. this is how superpowers work yes. all the time. It, they're always fit the personality of the person. Yeah, exactly. Or the the accident. It's a reflection of the accident. So they're basically telling us how comics work. <laughs> but the metagene won't change that. This is the thing I really enjoy
1: I I kind of enjoyed that. I mean, they used this story to just spell it out. Here's gonna, how it's going to work from now on. They just highlighted it. Deal with it now. This is how it works. And it kind of takes the sciency part out of it. Well, tried to take the sciency part out of it. All the while creating this magic-y... am I'm, I'm using words that don't exist, but you know, you know how it's all magic. How it's not magic, magic, but it's all supernatural. How powers get into people. Yeah. Uh, this is one of those things where they say, well, you know, this is how the supernatural works and it's
0: fine. I like, yeah. It, it gives a reasoning yeah. for something that's essentially just hand waving.
1: Yeah, exactly. So now, I mean, if I, and it fits all the, like the RPG
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> elements, you know, you have experiments and you have these, you know, cosmic powers and you know, all these different types of, well, now if you're around lasers, you're going to project lasers. It's easy. You get caught in, you know... Your origin
0: should, make sense, be, you know, thematically consistent. Well, hopefully, yeah. So this just makes it, like, an an excuse for it. Also, I think that's important to say, it's not... Yes, we just, like, sort of mirrored the Marvel Universe by saying mutants. Yeah. Meta-humans, mutants. But meta-humans aren't mutants. You're you're not predisposed to have a certain power. You're only predisposed to have Mm -hmm. a power if a crisis time makes you uh, unleash... Those powers and, but those powers will have something to do with whatever, whatever's happening. You weren't born to be Cyclops. You were born to be something. You still need an origin story. Yeah. It's just an explanation for why you get powers at all. It's not like you were always going to have these powers, regardless of your life or whether there's a pun in your name. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, that, but, but even though they do this, it doesn't change anything. <laughs> it doesn't
1: change no. anything it's just another explanation for how things kind of work but you know it's still very magical it's still very it doesn't take away the destiny part of it you know
0: because mm-hmm. i would rather people have an origin story than just be a teenager who you know yeah. develops powers and it's just like okay oh yeah i would rather there be like an something that happens yeah well
1: isn't that the point of comics we want stories yeah. and and that's one way to, you know, not phone it in. Correct. One thing I really enjoyed in this, because con- I, once again, I, I didn't read the Spectre. I, I, I didn't know what I was walking into when I, I grabbed, you know, this issue. But uh, one thing uh, I really enjoyed is how the invasion is done. You know, Dominators, Kunz, everybody's gone. But the invasion is still going on. Because now instead of aliens coming over and grabbing superpowered people or metagene people to, you know, create superpowered People for their army, I guess. I don't know what they were going to do with these. Yeah, people. Uh, that makes sense. We have people over here doing this. We have humans grabbing metagen positive. Is that a thing? Mm-hmm. Metagen positive people and and knowing that you can create a super powered human for basically the same purposes. So the invasion hasn't finished. It's not done. It's still going on, and it's reminiscent of you know World War Two, where you know we beat the Nazis, but. Nazis are still here. You know? And, <laughs> and, and we stole under... their
0: bomb technology, their, their missile technology. Yeah. We stole all their scientists for that element, yeah. that technology, that war machine, uh, adapted it to our own yeah. needs. And, exactly. And then we, the West, became the monster. Yeah, exactly. And this
1: is what's going on in this comic. This is... It's kind of laying the groundworks for this type of thing. You don't need aliens to have super evil people who try to control humans. You You have humans, trying to control humans and creating these incredible weapons out of people with no regards for human... We don't need the Dominators. We don't need... We'll
0: see your Dominators and we'll raise you one
1: Eugene Shockley.
0: My only question, I have to say, is why... I guess Doug Mensch wanted to do the story. But is this the most appropriate place to lay that kind of groundwork? To say this is the template for the DC Universe from now on. Powers can be provoked, Mm. Uh, we can manipulate the metagene, there will be shadowy organizations that are going to make their own metahumans, and uh, and this is like the first time it happens very, very soon after the invasion. Here are some of the rules of how this works. To put it in the Spectre, a supernatural Mm. comic that is new format, in other words, not available on newsstands, is that really the best place for it? Is this really the best place for this story? Uh, and um, that's really the one thing I question. I don't question the the quality of the, yeah, the yeah. story itself, but this is the first I I read of it because I wasn't you know I wasn't yeah. picking up the Spectre at the time, and nor was I able to. I was still a year away from at least yeah. have access to, to good comic book shops. Yeah, and even so, would I have known? To, yeah, you know, exactly. So I, I don't think this had as much readership as say. If you'd put it in Superman, or in Batman, or in Justice League. It could be easily a Batman story. It's a detective story.
1: Yeah. It it could have been, a you know, detective comics. You've got a psycho serial killer that could have been a Batman comic. But you know, Batman was kind of busy. Oh, yeah. You know, he had funerals. He had an editor that didn't want to participate. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, these things didn't concern Batman, so this couldn't be a Batman. I'm thinking this couldn't be a Batman story. It could have been maybe The Question Story, but also not available to everyone. But not available, and was he same for Green Arrow? Yeah, exactly. Those comics weren't you know weren't mainstream. So maybe I don't know. Checkmate. Maybe that was kind of checkmate was also new
0: format. I mean, see, yeah, it's kind of hard. The the, the, the more grounded, gritty stuff where a serial killer might have fit, if not Batman, was all comics that weren't on newsstands. Exactly. So maybe you do a like slightly different story, and you know what? I'm gonna do the research. Maybe other comics also spelled this out. It's not unique to this. Yeah, yeah, maybe. This didn't really read like a supernatural type
1: thing. No, no. The only thing that's kind of cool about it is eventually the Spectre is going to be inside a machine. And you can apply the Ghost in the Machine
0: title. Yeah, you're right. Because in this, there's some... Horror element in yeah. the sense that you know a guy blows up a cat. There's blood and it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. There's a serial killer. Yeah, so, I, I love the way
1: there's this one panel where Spectre just grabs this kid mm-hmm. through the I wall wrote, yeah. and then comes out of the wall and he's he's menacing. He's you know the the, the horrifying Spectre and I really enjoyed that panel.
0: Yeah, because when he enters the kid, he's breathed out more or less comatose, and his two friends of the guy just steal his tokens from yeah. the arcade. <laughs> That really dates the story. I mean, it's not a—we don't see him play a real game. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, that kind of bugged me. Uh, Not that it's not a real game, but that throughout the issue, I thought there was a lot of product placement that was not real. Yeah, Thud Grocery Store. I mean, who calls their grocery stores Thud? I don't know. So there's a lot of. mm, I mean, even as a fake name for a bag of chips or a grocery store or an arcade machine, it's like really weird. Words, a very small complaint. Yeah, we're, we're we're. I mean,
1: we're not even in the same vicinity as you know Jitterbeans or, which I mean, it could be an actual coffee shop. But Thud Grocery never, <laughs> Frump Chips or you know it doesn't yeah. doesn't make any doesn't sense. make sense.
0: Any uh, any final thoughts on uh, the issue itself?
1: Um, you know, I kind of enjoyed it. Maybe because I was—it's uh, been a while since I've read a small comic. <laughs> I mean, Invasion yeah, it was uh, Number Three was—it was a big one—and this was kind of a, a fun little read. I really didn't think it was a. I, although I don't really read the Spectre, and I—it I, didn't feel like a Spectre comic. It—it it kind of felt like a, and and that's what I said earlier. It—it it kind of feels like we have to. We like this Ghost in the Machine thing, which is pretty much just dictated that this was going to be a Spectre comic. But it, it didn't feel like a Spectre comic. It felt like a detective comic. It could have been a Martian Manhunter mm. comic. It could have been a Batman comic. It could have
0: come out of a wall as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and be menacing. If that's, all, that's all that really happens,
1: Spectre-wise. Yeah. And uh, I think it would have been cool. But I liked it, but it was somebody else's comic. That's how I felt.
0: We're going to go to Free Comic Book Day. Oh, yeah. And um, on air. And when we come back from this uh, little spot, we'll uh, talk about the Spectre proper. Cool.
1: This is Bess Levesque for the Fire & Water Podcast Network, and uh, we're live at the Comic Hunter. This is exciting. And uh, we're around here with a bunch of people. Um, we have a couple questions for you guys. Do you remember the invasion?
2: That depends on which invasion you're asking about.
1: The DC Comics invasion from 1989.
2: 89? I would have to do some thinking.
0: I was only two years old then. <laughs> like, couldn't remember that. I do not. You might remember more? No. <laughs>
1: the Invasion from DC Comics. No. No. That's a no all around. Do you remember the uh, Invasion? No. <laughs> a lot of people don't. Um, I read it like as a kid because I got them in the Sears gift boxes that they used to Oh, nice. Five, and the, the, the Wish Book, which is you know was the best thing ever when you were a kid. Oh, uh, definitely. So I have
2: absolutely no memory of it other than,
1: uh, than I read it. Yeah, and I've sorted it a hundred times. You're a uh, manager here at the yes. comic book. That's me. Uh, how's the day going? This is free comic book day. It's, it looks pretty nice. Yeah, so the lineup's
2: good. biggest lineup we've had, two, I think 224 when we counted at, at, at 8 o'clock.
1: We're in the trenches right now, um, and we're with Nicole. Nicole, Nicole, uh, do you remember the invasion?
2: I do. You do? I do, oh, yes. Oh, wow. Did you like it? I did. It was mostly, well, I more recently know of The Invasion, not okay. for when it happened, but my boyfriend did show me some of the comics, and I'm more of a Marvel girl. He's more of DC, so it was a nice little... He showed me that right around the time I was getting excited for Thanos. <laughs> wow,
1: so it's actually it's pretty recent.
2: It's pretty recent for me, yeah. <laughs>
1: and uh, what were your favorite parts? What did you like about them? Um,
2: I enjoyed... I don't know, it was a really different feel to it, just because I'm more used to Marvel, which gives it a little bit more fun, whereas this was kind of a bit of a different tone, which I really enjoyed. It was different storytelling for me, so I really enjoyed that.
1: It seems like a very positive experience.
2: It was, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's There's very little that I don't like in general, which my boyfriend hates a little bit. He's like, every movie we go see, he's always like, oh, you like it, didn't you? I'm like, I did. He's like, well, I hated this, and I'm like, what? Well, so I'm there's not much that I dislike. <laughs> well, I read it when I was really, really small. So at the time it was probably five, six. So I really only looked at the pictures more than anything else. And it's only now I remember it's like I actually read a comic and it's a classic and I barely remember a thing. My goodness gracious. Very vividly, yes. Cool. Cool. And what did you like about it? I liked how when everyone was losing their powers and gaining, um, the Superman sequences just fucking bursting, definitely. Superman bursting up into space, like it always, even in movies, the comic books, every time I see a picture of Superman blasting off into space, it kind of gives me like shivers, like how would I feel if I could just be gone, you know, just blink of an eye up in space, fucking and comics have always been a good outreach for me like as a kid I was really sheltered and stuff and I'd read comic books and be like damn I wish I had this life I'd rather have uh, Green Lanterns I'd rather have the court powers personally than uh, Superman just being able to put on a ring and having your imagination be able to run wild and be able to craft anything you want just with your imagination it's almost like what he said with comics being an outreach it's a way that things that can't be real and you know you can't have in regular society in regular days it can all be real within comics and I like that you can have your own world
1: outside of this world so it's a like he said it's good outreach
2: if uh, you know regular day-to-day is getting to you grab a comic whatever your preference is and open it up and drift away from normal the normal reality for a couple hours.
1: Uh, do you remember the invasion?
0: Uh, yes, it was actually kind of horrible. We had to take shelter for quite a long while. It was quite dreary, quite dark. I thought we would never see the clouds again.
1: I understand. Did, did, how did you feel about Melbourne?
0: Well, Melbourne was a very interesting character. I think he...
1: I'm talking about the town because it was decimated in the invasion. Oh, oh, are,
0: is, that, is that so? Well, uh, that's a bit awkward on my part because I thought I was talking about some morezelle.
1: Well, uh, uh, Melbourne the character, uh, he is awesome though.
0: Oh yes, definitely. I thought I thought his I thought his character development arc was absolutely
1: great. Perfect. Uh, Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.
0: All right, we're back. That was fun. the The free comic book day was really fun, <laughs> and we'll return before the, sh- the the end of the show. Have a cup of coffee now because uh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of cold. Yeah, it was kind of cold. We're wearing our first strike shirts, exactly available at the merch shop on the Fire and Water, yeah, uh, but all
1: dapper and, and yeah, mace. just
0: the uh, like branding. It didn't necessarily help. <laughs> we uh, we talked to a lot of people.
1: I mean, I love these people in line. You know, they're in line at seven o'clock in the morning. It's kind of chilly. I mean, it, it was ten degrees Celsius. Uh, I'm sorry for American friends, but we work in Celsius here. Uh, ten degrees Celsius. <laughs> we thought it was kind of warm at first, but the wind. Went- It got chilly pretty quick, but people are in line and they're, you know, looking forward to getting into the shop. And it was great. It was fun.
0: Let's talk about the Spectre. Yeah. sort of avoided it last time. We talked about Dr. Fate and And Zedman and all of these guys, but not the Spectre, who is the star of the the book, supposedly. Do you have much of a history with the
1: the Spectre? I know of the old Golden Years Spectre. I always liked them. I always liked that two-color tone classic superhero Type and Spectre was one of them, although you know, you know, you grow up and you say, Well, yeah, that hood that hood could have been creepier, and that's what they did and, eventually, yeah. yeah and a little collar thing you know, that kind of looks weird, so they took it out. And you know, he should have a mask, not just a white face, and that's what they did eventually. And you know, but the Spectre was kind of cool. I didn't really know what he did, though, I thought he just punched anything. people, anything. <laughs> well, I didn't even know about his powers till. Uh, Later on, when I learned about the the Lords of Order and the Lords of Chaos and all that stuff. It's
0: the Lords of Order that kept them out of the invasion. Uh, For balance, I think, if I remember
1: correctly. This this is a lot like the Force in Star Wars. This needs to act out or play out by itself. Play out as itself, so
0: not as part of the Order versus Chaos war, I guess. It's sort of addressed a little bit here. Mostly Corrigan saying... That he's kind of pissed that the, he wasn't allowed to participate. This yeah. is his world, regardless of the spectre. He has a human form, and th- this is different from the original paradigm because in the golden age, he he was dead. He okay. died in the first issue, and then becomes this ghost. He's allowed to return if he will act as a spirit of vengeance. Okay, so basically, uh, Ghost Rider. Basically, the Ghost Rider stole the uh. Spectre's shtick <gasps> and added a motorcycle. But, um, oh, that's cool! Yeah, I thought I really liked the Golden Age Spectre, but yeah. then I read some stories, and it's not quite as imaginative as I thought it was. Yeah. I think Doctor Fate strips are a lot crazier because what I really, really remember of the Golden Age Spectre is actually a Silver Age Spectre when he shows up in in Showcase. This this is the stuff where he's super a super giant and smashing the Earth on the on like a demon's head. So basically, the Spectre that showed up in uh, crisis Crisis. exactly so this is this is a specter that i i love the visuals of it the idea that he he was on another plane entirely and could play billiards with planets yeah kind of stuff you know crazy visuals i think for a magical character that can do anything how do you make that interesting how do you make them about stakes because after that you know late 60s early 70s Jim Aparo is drawing him and, you know, he's summoned by some evil act and he takes revenge on the person, usually in an imaginative way. Becomes a pair of scissors and cuts a guy in half. That sort of stuff. (laughs) Okay. You know, so sort of kind of off-panel to to respect the comics code. That's the specter that people remember. And then this series that Doug Mensch was writing doesn't really do that much, as far as I remember. Every issue that I've ever seen, it's not really what... They're doing. Jim Corrigan isn't dead, or he's been brought back to life. So he has this whole life as a private detective, and he becomes it's like the, a Hulk persona, where he becomes yeah. or or Ghost Rider. It's, it's even closer to Ghost Rider. Yeah. You spend half your time not as a fiery demon. <laughs> you actually have a life. They change it just to give him a, a soap opera story to have him yeah. have a you know a life other than just a ghost that shows up. That perhaps isn't viable as a series. But then my favorite series of the Spectre was the John Strander Tom Mandrake comic that came after this in the 90s, where they brought back the whole idea of vengeance that was ironic and violent and like imagery. So this is the Spectre that I think of when I think of the Spectre.
1: Having this ironic death is just poetic justice, really. Yeah,
0: poetic justice is really was part of the scheme, I think. But, you know, for you, coming into comics later than I did... Yeah. Was the Spectre, at some point, was the Spectre for you Hal Jordan? Or Crispus Allen? You know what? You know when it stopped being Jim Corrigan? The
1: Hal Jordan Spectre was always Hal Jordan for me. He wasn't the Spectre. He wasn't the Spectre, okay. You know, he was a Mars bar with almonds. It's not really a Mars bar. You know, it's something else. In that case, he, he was just something else. He was just, I felt like that was just Hal Jordan's road to redemption. You know, it wasn't really the specter. So to me, no, not really. I, uh, I got it. I understood, you know, why the specter didn't just destroy Hal Jordan and it kind of humanized the specter a little bit and, and kind of pardoned al jordan a little bit but he wasn't really the specter
0: so the idea that the specter could be anyone there would always be a spirit of vengeance always be a specter is that a good idea to have like the mantle be passed from one person to the other or should it be when we talk about the specter, should it be jim corrigan
1: i think for me it should be jim corrigan jim corrigan should be the chosen one to host the specter if the specter is just this possessing force for good it kind of cheapens Jim. Truthful answer, I don't really. Care. <laughs> All right, yeah. I mean, he's just a peg above Hawkman. for me. No, no, Not really, I'm kidding.
0: I'm kidding. Jim Corrigan also appeared on The Constantine Show. Yeah. And uh, did not get a chance to be killed and become the Spectre. Oh, they should have. Well, apparently they're bringing Constantine back yeah. on uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's a story that it could be resolved then.
1: Yeah, that'd be great.
0: Because, I, I mean,
1: in this thing, you know, Jim Corgan is a detective. And we always like detectives, you know. we have a thousand TV shows about detectives. Why yeah. not a supernatural detective? We have those also, but,
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, There's every permutation. Yeah, there's detective every. Detective
1: work. But the villains, the villains in these things are kind of boring, though. mm You know, I always imagine the villain
0: just be... You gotta die violently at the end. Can't really have any staying power. Yeah, exactly.
1: But, you know, they are always, like, very evil mass murderers or or serial killers. Or It doesn't get boring, but probably repetitive. There's only so many things you can do that they'll bring
0: the wrath of God on you and and kill you. That's a good point. I think that's the problem with any... Uh, specter run i've ever read is that at some point you're going well either the writers are getting away from the core concept and then it becomes not so much a specter story or they stick with the concept and then after a while you've sort of seen it all this horror show of vengeance as a limit to what you as a reader can stand because it does become kind of repetitious yeah so, yeah, that's the Spectre in a nutshell. I think it's he's a character that's fun in small doses. Yeah, I think he's a great, probably, he's probably a great guest star, mm.
1: you know, in other comics. And, you know, he's probably, but on his own, he's like a mini series type superhero.
0: And anything that you do to make him, to expand him, like this series did, yeah, has a way of just diluting what's fun about the character. Yeah. All right, we'll take a small break. Yeah. And uh, when we come back... More from Friend Comic Book Day and your feedback.
2: It's midnight, the podcasting hour. From fetid swamps to creepy castles, the podcasting hour is your home for horror on the Fire and Water Network. Join me, P.J. Frightful, on this quarterly anthology
1: podcast that gazes into the mysterious and terrifying shadows of DC Comics. The moon is full and the bell
2: tolls for midnight, the podcasting hour.
1: This is Bass and Siskoid. Siskoid's still here. Yeah, hi uh we're in line (laughs) he's producing producer we're at the comic hunter in line it's it's kind of getting chilly out here (laughs) and these are homegrown boys and uh, and uh i I need to ask you do you remember the invasion you don't remember the maybe you saw it on tv it was played out in the supergirl and flash show big alien Yeah.
2: yeah yeah i remember that invasion. that was really weird yeah, so I've seen it. Okay.
1: Yeah? Uh, what do you think about it? I enjoyed it.
2: I liked the, the big team-up moments with all of them together when I took the slow-motion shot
1: thing. We have a fire somewhere. Well, this is war. There is an invasion going on.
2: I did. I liked all of it.
1: Yeah? What, favorite parts? All of it. <laughs> all of it. What was the one thing that you said, well, we need we need a lot of superheroes here?
0: Uh, for me, it was the Supergirl moment in it, when they kind of realized the breath of, like, how many of them were coming, and they were just
2: like, oh, shit, you need more than three people. Yeah, it was kind of the, the same thing. My favorite moment in it was when, when Green Arrow was, like, not thinking that Supergirl was as powerful as, as she was. Um, but I, I do also agree with Robert here that that was my favorite moment.
0: Uh, it's just nice when they pull
2: things from separate storylines and kind of stick them together.
0: Thank you very much. I'm J.M.D. Mateus, and you're listening to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Letters from the front. Letters from the front. We're back, and uh, another cup of coffee. (laughs) And uh, we're looking at your feedback from episode 34. Invasion number three was the topic. That was a big book. A big book, and we were kind of critical. Yeah, we, we, yeah. Well, I think we both were not
1: really let down. Well, yeah, a little bit let down by the ending. Maybe we wanted more, maybe everything else, but...
0: Yeah, structurally, it was kind of haphazard. Yeah. It was probably the, the, our main problem. You know what? A lot of my love of Invasion doesn't come from the core series. It comes from the... the, the all yeah. the tie-ins and yeah. the way... How it was handled in each of the books. Yeah. How, it was, how they juggled it. That's why I like Invasion. Why, now, I think in, Invasion is, in many ways, a good template for uh, crossover
1: events. I agree. I really enjoyed... Although I did enjoy these three core comics, the best part of this journey was all the others, all the tie-ins, and that was really the fun
0: part. I think so, too. So, uh, let's see what people thought of our thoughts. Chris Franklin from the Supermates and uh, Nightcast says, I think you uncovered my ultimate problem with the three-issue mini itself. And honestly, a lot of Giffen's writing. He focuses on the part of the story that's less interesting, while the stuff you really want to see is only briefly mentioned or given a panel or two. Sure, in hindsight, we know the DC of a few years uh, from this would have given us a Batman A Cure for Arkham one-shot special or mini-event across the bat titles. But even in 88, 89, it would have been nice to have seen some of these very interesting plot points fleshed out. Still, I have fond memories of this book. I really enjoyed Bart Sears' roided-up art at the time. I don't care for it as much now, but he executes that style very well. And he gave Captain Adam one mean mullet. And yes, it was a mullet, no argument there. As for Metagenes, yeah, I didn't care much for their introduction. It was around this time in the Spider-Man titles that they jokingly started heralding him as the non-mutant superhero. That tells you how prevalent Mutant Mania was in the late 80s. DC was really just jumping on the bandwagon. To me, it's another example of DC forsaking their own unique identity to be like Marvel, much like Crisis. But over time, the word MetaHuman becomes a unique DC brand, so in the long run, I think it kind of works. I think it actually works better on the TV series, selling these strange powers and fantastic coincidences to the general public. But Dr. Fate being a Meta? No. I could buy Zatanna as more of one given her parentage, actually. Oh, yeah. Although she would be homo magi. Homo magi? Well, she's half homo magi, just like her mom. Okay, yeah. Was homo magi, which is another... It's a race. It's its own... Okay, so basically she's half muggle. She's half muggle and half... Half wizard. So that's another genetic package entirely. Sometimes you have to talk to me in Harry Potter terms. Sometimes I do. Imagine invasion being done today. How you would have these specials and mini events and that kind of event has to be fleshed out in the
1: uh, in the times that's the beauty of it and mm-hmm. and some people didn't want to you know participate batman wasn't really in there going deep you know and these these are the titles that could have fleshed out you know, you didn't have the Teen Titans that were really popular because they were doing something else and mm-hmm. you can't you couldn't flesh it out really nicely. I, I mean, if you're going to have this type of event, have the big books really be the flesh and the meat and, you know, the action being the miniseries. That's what I
0: think. So Bradley Null chimed in before he actually listened to it, but I like the sentiment. Uh, he says he's reread the comic but not listened to the show. I seem to end up driving the San Bernardino Mountains on the days your show releases, so your coverage is becoming linked to windy roads and pretty places. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Hope you like the episode. Uh, David Ace Gutierrez says just a quick note on the whole Speed Force Flash Metagene thing. You might recall when Bart Allen became the Flash... That Jay Garrick, the first Flash, lost touch with the Speed Force, but has retained some of his super speed. This was because it turned out he was a metahuman. It's possible that the metagene lets you tap into the Speed Force and heighten speed, or it's all just bullshit science, I don't know. Well, it's comic books, it's always bullshit science. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he answers Chris, he says, uh, he agrees with Chris, he says, I suppose for the super prolonged version of this, check out... The Our Worlds at War arc that took over a number of DC's titles and even killed off a couple of major characters. Hmm. That's a later sort of invasion. Paul Hicks says, harsher assessment of issue 3 than I would have given. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) And thanks for playing the promo. Uh, We played the promo for DCOCD, which, Mm -hmm. of course, within that span, within that month, did an invasion episode that I participated in. uh, And um, they weren't as... Keen on the event as we were. We have a whole podcast on this event, <laughs> yeah. so we kind of enjoyed. We, it. We sort of invested. Yeah. We, we sort of had to say, uh it's good. Uh, Ange says, love the ad hoc medical ward. Not much space to operate between victims. <laughs> and you should know, he's, he's a medical doctor. Interesting to hear about the effect of this, or lack thereof. For most books I read at the time, there was no discernible difference. Hmm... hmm. I mean, just because people were called metahumans all of a sudden. Okay. I mean, doesn't change anything. It doesn't. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not necessarily opposed to that. Let's have a big event. Let's all participate. Let's make it big and epic. But let's not interfere with the books and what the writers are doing. Yeah. Because sometimes uh, an event will just interrupt. Like, say, Flashpoint, uh, which changed everything. Next thing you know, it's... And you every- loved it. You yeah. Loved it's it. New 52. But it means that everybody who was working on books at the time had to suddenly make everything come to a crashing yeah. halt. And that's not, that's not cool. No. So oh. I do respect that the Teen Titans were doing their own thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I wish there had been some participation. But at the same time, do I want whatever book I'm following? But like Superman was a great example. Yeah. They, they used it you know, to push the story they were already telling. And that's how it should work. You should participate, but use it as an event that pushes you forward, not destroys what you were doing and basically makes the creative team have to leave. Well, Flashpoint, or as you like to call it, Flashpoint. Flashpoint. Uh,
1: has a more radical, the fallout of Flashpoint is way bigger than, you know, this. Invasion, all we get is, you know, how superheroes work. Yeah. You know, so it, it's not like, all right, everything you loved is gone. <laughs>
0: Well, it's, exactly. Yeah. I think even when you look at Crisis, a lot of books didn't reboot yeah. after the first Crisis. So, you you know, you were telling they were telling Teen Titans stories that were very popular or Legion stories that were popular. That didn't change. They didn't have to make any big changes. Yeah. Uh, and it just, you know, kept going. And whatever changes they had to make just to respect the Crisis yeah. didn't destroy the franchise. or yeah. uh, Which is always the case with Batman also. Yeah. Batman never, never changes. Never changes. So it doesn't anything. matter. And that's kind of the truth for the new fifty two as well. Yeah. You know. Batman didn't change. No. Nothing changed. Not really. So but like the Superman rebooted, but look at what Superman was doing for the previous two years. Yeah. Just standing still, no real creative team that stuck on, it was just like one shot stories. Yeah. They called him the lame duck Superman where nothing really mattered because they knew going in. They they weren't really telling a story, a continuous story with him at the time. Yeah. So losing him for a reboot felt natural. Yeah. Whereas if you're, you're telling stories, they're, you know, you're, they're serialized, and this is what comics really are now, suddenly making everybody stop to say, oh, it's one year later after Infinite Crisis. Yeah. Oh, it's, you know, we've destroyed this element, or we've destroyed this element, or we've destroyed the entire universe. Sometimes that's just like square pegs and round holes. Yeah. It's
1: impossible to have all the stories end at the, the exact right
0: time. This so I think thing. the better thing is not to ask that much. Yeah. We can have this big story, but it doesn't have to, you know, end in a... Uh, you know what?
1: Uh, not a world and universe changing thing is probably a better
0: uh, way to end a crisis. If it's going to be natural to the world, then good. If Sometimes it's not. Um, Tim Price says, Woo! You finally made it. Well done, guys. I'm glad there's more episodes to go, but this was the big finish. Per Dr. Fate, I'm sorry, but it can't be Kent Nelson. JLI number 10 with the Millennium crossover clearly shows that it's Eric Linda under the helmet. Lots of dialogue with the I, we, and what was it Kent told us? That's Eric Linda. Hmm, I don't know, Tim. It could be Naboo. Could be Naboo under there somehow. Uh, so why does the meta-gene bomb affect Dr. Fate? And not surprisingly, I have theories. All equally flimsy, but it's comics. First, Naboo chose Eric because he was special, perhaps because he possessed a metagene that predisposes him to use magic. Uh, two, Eric and Linda's body is manipulated a lot. Eric aged from child to adult, merging two beings into one, controlling massive arcane power. Maybe some or all causes the fate body to have the metagene where it otherwise wouldn't maybe trigger the metagene. Three, Giffen wanted to have Dr. Fate and Spectre fight, and the Spectre is a ghost, so he couldn't have the metagene, leaving Fate as the lucky one. Yeah, but there's not much of that fight. I still stick by what I said. Uh, Diablo Frank says, I think I've griped about this before, but it bears repeating. Invasion was roughly equivalent to a 10-issue maxi series, featuring a near double-length concluding chapter. In terms of page count, it is one of the longest events in DC history. Hmm. Because if a comic is like 20 pages, this was 12 times that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So it's one of the longest events in DC history, and it gets far less done than most four- or six-issue miniseries in that category. It has no rhythm, little significant incident, three distinct art teams, and no lasting consequence beyond the term metagene. I find the concept amusing, it doesn't do anything to make me angry, and the art is pleasant enough proto-image. You know, just the fact that it doesn't make Diablo Frank angry? is a win. That's a win. <laughs> that's, that's a win. Uh, Brian Linton says, were metagenes the inspiration for midichlorians? <laughs> it sounds crazy. Yeah, it does. But after a long day of executive producing Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, what better way would there be for George Lucas to unwind than to read Invasion, a tale full of space battles, aliens, and heroes with unusual powers? Now, skip ahead a few years. While writing The Phantom Menace, Lucas realizes that he needs a way for Qui-Gon to measure Anakin's potential to use the Force. It's at this critical moment that he remembers those comic books he'd read a few years earlier. Inspiration strikes... And history is made. As a result, Star Wars fans received a pseudo-scientific explanation for the Force that they'd always wanted. I bet it doesn't sound so crazy now. After all... You know what? I think he's absolutely right. I think this is a reach. Shag says, um, congratulations. Like you, I spent a long time studying those tiny figures in the beds trying to identify all the characters. Not sure if I ever mentioned this before, but in my college years, I had a scan from Invasion blown up to near poster size. I would go into our local Kinko's late at night to make these color copies because those overnight guys did not care about copyright. It hung in my comic book room for years. And he finds himself sad that the endgame is in sight for the show. That's the main of the comments. We're going to go through the Facebook and Twitter stuff, of course. If you have comments and you, I think fireandwaterpodcast.com is the best place to leave extended comments or oh, yeah. read more because I only read like selections of each person's uh, comments. And you can also answer this question: What's your favorite alien? What is your favorite alien? Any medium, any uh, any, any franchise, any any property, anything. Could uh, be that little
1: thing they they found in Peru, I think. That's not an alien, but people thought it was an alien. But it could be that. And it's one of the things we asked the people in line at Free Comic Book Day. We're
0: still at the Comic Hunter.
1: One big question: What is your favorite alien? Predator.
0: Martian Manhunter. Oh, good choice. Yeah. A, he's part of the Justice League. Yeah. And, well, he's got some pretty good kick-ass powers. Like, Amen. he can go right through people. <laughs> probably the, uh, probably the Brood, actually. They're kind of like Xenomorphs, almost like, but in the X-Men universe, oh, the yeah. Does this from immune- Spider-Man count? Most definitely. Okay, yeah, that one. Since you're on the
2: DC trend, I'm going to go with Supergirl. Oh, yeah, Kryptonians? Yes, Kryptonians are definitely one of my favorites. One of my faves
0: also. Venom.
1: venom. <laughs> Definitely Venom. No. No aliens. No. No aliens whatsoever. <laughs> Just like humans. Just like humans. That's very racist. It's <laughs> <That's> okay. <laughs> <laughs> alright, alright. Cool. No aliens. We don't like aliens over here.
2: I'm really a fan of the Martians right now.
1: You're you're a fan of Martians? All right Martians?
2: I'm non discriminated against any anybody gonna sound really. really Vain, but my favorite aliens are ones that I made up. Oh!
1: Ooh, and what did they do?
2: Um, I made a species of alien that's based on bearded dragons and capybaras, and they bond really well with
1: humans. For me it would be the Doctor. Since the Doctor? Forever. Since forever. Yep.
0: Tattoos to prove it. So. Really? Yep. Really.
1: And, and what do you like about the Doctor?
0: Uh, really for me it's nostalgia I was six when I started the show and it just it developed me from what I am right now I'm a nerd because of Doctor Who
1: <laughs> aren't we all
0: before it was even available here so yeah Roger from American Dad uh mine is definitely Alf Alf yeah the fur yeah
1: I like David Bowie
0: <laughs> don't we all
1: but he's gone right. now
0: well he's, he's gone home, home. or robots
1: Ro- oh you're a robot guy uh alien robot yeah sure Transformers there you go
2: <laughs> Starfire Starfire. Yeah. What do you like? She's just a really powerful female character, and I really appreciate that. It's yeah. pretty badass. <laughs> she is.
0: She is. Favorite alien? I'd have to go to Starfire too. She's kind of give me the uh, backstory <laughs> and she's pretty badass. And I just find Superman's had his like his time, so no. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm probably gonna say Martian Manhunter. Really? Yes. He's a he's very interesting.
2: Or the the thing from the thing. Oh, I gotta say probably the alien from Aliens. Uh, xenomorphs? Yeah, for sure. They're so awesome. Favorite alien? Thanos. Thanos? Yeah. He's pretty damn huge and he's going to kill everybody.
1: Yeah, actually his website said I'm dead already.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you're here, so that he, they lied. <laughs>
1: they did lie. I am, well, actually, no, they're right. I'm dead inside. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Right. We need to say thank you to all these people that just, yeah. yes. Uh, participated and it was a great time and thank you for uh for having us the comic hunter in moncton
0: that was great so on facebook uh we got liked and shared by adam ackerman billy lacasse chris franklin clinton robison of coffee and comics david es gutierrez Keith G. Baker, Martin Gray, Max Romero, Max Traver, Mike Peacock, Nathan Archer, Rich Matsumoto, Rick Brugge, Robert Ward, Roger Priebe, Shag Matthews, Shane Lake, Stephen Robertson, Terence Castonguay, Weird Fantastic Toy Adventures, who says, Cool, I enjoyed reading this one back when it first came out. It did start out great, but the ending was a bit of a letdown. But then again, it was the same way with all the great movie serials, too. Uh, Google Plus, uh, we got plussed by Kiji G. Baker and The Hammer Strikes. On Twitter, retweets and favorites from Andre79, Oliveira, Cash Flag, Charles Warner, Chris, Chris Lewis, Cuffing Comics, Corey Hodgden, Daniel R. Budnick, who says it's one of uh, his po- favorite podcasts. Oh, thank you. DC in the 80s, Dr. Geneardologist, Dylan A. Lange, Earth to Chris, Greg A. Hicks, The Irredeemable Shag of Firestorm fan, Jeffrey Brown, Justice Trek, The Podcast, Chris Tados, Longbox Crusade, Max Romero of It's Plastic Man, Michel Fief, Mike Ratliff, Negazi Man, Nuno Duarte, who says rushed ending into an otherwise well concocted event. Great episode, guys. Any plans to tackle a similar project? if you finished this one? Zero Hour sounds fun. Well, hmm? maybe. Maybe. We'll have to go back in time to see. We like it. We like it. We like it. Prof Riptide, Richard Field, Rob Kelly Creative. Of Film and Water Podcast, Treasury Comics, Superman Movie Minute, Hostess Ads, Spot Dylan, Digest Cast, and Mash Cast, Rollspine Podcast, Ryan Daly, Sam Lowe, Scott X, Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast, Stephen Wise, The 108th Sage, Tim Price, Tony Wolf, Waiting for Doom, Warlock Thanos Podcast, Warren Haitley, Willie Yarbrough, and Zach the Comicaholic. Like I said, if you want to leave a comment, fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Fire and Water Facebook page. Twitter's great, just use the hashtag FWPodcasts.
1: And we'll find you. What's next? <laughs> what is next? What is next? Next time on First Strike the Invasion podcast Justice League Europe and Legion 89. Number ones,
0: both of them. Coincidence?